Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Kat. Kat McLeod is the creator of the stay-at-home mom entrepreneur. Why not choose mompreneur? Like instead of mom entrepreneur. Well, part of my business success is niching down really tight. I'm not afraid to niche because of my 20 years of entrepreneurship. So stay-at-home mom entrepreneur it is, and that's because I identify with that title. Okay. I like it. I like it. And now I thought it sets you apart from all the it being the cliche mompreneur. That seems to be like the hype nowadays. <laughs> Um, but she has the proven framework for creating a highly profitable, profitable business that you love while working two hours a day. And people are probably thinking you're too good to be true right now, Kat. So they'll have to check you out. (laughs) Um, she started her first multiple, multiple six figure business 20 years ago, and she doesn't look old enough to have started a business 20 years ago. So I'm just going to put that out there and hasn't slowed down since not even after having kids. A fun fact, that business's profits meant that she had way more money than her husband when they first got married and was able to pay an entire $450,000 down payment on their home. Woo! Um, Not that he minded. (laughs) Who who would mind that anyways? You know, if my husband had married me, it's like, I'm going to pay for this down payment on a a home. I'd be like, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we both, I came in, the marriage was student loan debt. He was a single sailor. So he wasn't paying attention to what money was coming in, what money was coming out. I was like, this whole thing is a mess. We're just a mess together. That's all right. Nine years later, we're still a mess together. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kat, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm excited to be here, Megan. I would love to have you share some about your background. You didn't get to where you are overnight and you've been through some shit. Like we've all been through some shit and I'd love for you to share that shit with us. (laughs) Totally been through some shit. I grew up in a household where I was abused on a regular basis, physically abused. And I feared for my life. I truly thought I could be murdered when I was growing up and could not wait to escape my childhood home. And one of the ways I escaped that was starting to strip. And I knew I could support myself and had the nerve to move to Los Angeles on my own in a very expensive city at the age of 22. And I was going to strip, but in LA, it is a lot of contact. There's lap dancing. And because of my abuse, I wasn't comfortable with that. So I actually answered an ad to become a dominatrix. And this did start my entrepreneurship 20 years ago, because I'm 42. And I'll give you kisses for that (laughs) flattery on uh, my uh, age look wise. And I was in that fetish business for the next five years. I felt really unpurposeful and unmeaningful and trapped because I made so much money. I made a lot of money at a young age. I was able to buy my first home in LA at age 23, and it was really hard for me to transition out. Long story short, after multiple failures, I finally was able to transition out. 
and did a short stint in corporate for one of my clients, my one of my client, my fetish clients of five years, and did really well, but hated working for somebody else, hated working for a boss. So I went back to graduate school, decided to get my master's in psychology and decided to help women transition out of the sex industry as my second year graduate school project for obvious reasons. I knew what it was like to make hundreds, if not thousands of dollars an hour and how challenging it is to leave that behind and be able to actually keep transitioning out. And that is how I developed my high profit, high purpose framework. And it did really come about helping the sex workers transition out of the sex industry because they wanted high profit for the time spent. And now all these years later, 13 years later, it applies to my stay-at-home moms because we all have full-time mom jobs that we don't get paid for. And we also want high profit for the time spent. So it's been a natural progression. And I found it really rewarding to help women transition out of the sex industry. But now I'm a mom and I'm just in a different phase of life. So that's why I focus on stay-at-home moms at this point. So tell people what a dominatrix is because they may be listening and wondering what that is because I have some from from familiarity. Um, Words are not my friends tonight, but um, I was just telling Kat, by the time people hear this, it'll be months later and hopefully your eyebrows have grown back. But my daughter shaved her eyebrows off tonight. (laughs) Literally shaved her eyebrows off tonight. So I'm like all over the place right now. It was wild. Um, But yes, if you could just share with us what a dominatrix does. A dominatrix focuses on BDSM, which is like a form of sadomasochism. It's all like in the same wheelhouse that if you don't know what any of this stuff is, it's going to be confusing. Basically, you are paid as a dominatrix to be extremely dominant, like very uh, type A, very forceful and people will pay you to either whip them, tell them what to do. There's a lot of parts of domination. And the main part that people are the most familiar with is the whips and the chains, even though that is actually a small part of it. It's about control. And for the submissives, it's about letting go of control and having someone else be the one in charge. It's consensual play. It's usually non-sexual in a professional environment. It was completely non-sexual in my environment, as in like no sex acts are performed. When you do it in personal life, then all, you know, nothing's off limits in personal life. And people who get off of it in personal life, I'm sure it's consensually sexual at some point, or I'm guessing it is. Well, hopefully, because otherwise it's an abusive relationship. Yes. You got to get out of it. Or it doesn't have to lead to sex. I mean- Right. You know. No, yeah. I have actually heard that um, that when you're a dom, that in pro- professional dom, that you don't usually have sexual contact with your clients. It's actually that's correct. Illegal in most states, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely illegal. Maybe in Nevada, it's not illegal, but yeah, as a professional dom, I mean, number one, it's illegal. Sex acts are you know, in the United States illegal, except for I believe in Nevada, maybe there's another state, but dominatrixes do not usually have sexual encounters with their clients. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I have a, I have a friend who is into the BDSM scene and I've learned a lot uh, of different 
words and different things. I'm like, I didn't know any of this stuff existed. Like, this is so interesting. <laughs> and that's who I, I heard about the professional Dom. I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. So I'm glad I had her to educate me before we came on the podcast. Cause now I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit. <laughs> I mean, when I was a first a professional dom, it was actually quite fun. It turned the tides on the power thing that I grew up with. And as you said, it's not sexual and you get to be really dominant. People pay you many hundreds of dollars to dominate them. And after a while, it's because I'm just not into it. If I was into it in my own personal life, it would probably be somewhat of a dream job, right? I mean, if you're really into that it's just not something that I truly enjoyed and it was mentally and physically taxing after a while oh yeah I can imagine especially if it's not something you're into on a personal basis that it'd be like I don't know uh, <laughs> so when it came after you got your master you said you got your master's right in psychology um, you went into helping other women were you doing therapy? What what was going on there? I actually got my master's to do counseling. However, because I became a business coach on accident, or I should say you through my second year project, I after I got my graduate degree, I then became a certified coach. And I opened up my practice to both men and women outside of the sixth industry in all different areas. So I got the uh, pleasure and the thrill of helping different people build completely different businesses all over the gamut from a gluten-free bakery to a bed a, a bed and breakfast to software as a service, just all different fields. And it was really fun. What motivated you to go into the coaching industry instead of the counseling industry? Did you just kind of fall into it or... Was there something that um, attracted you more to the coaching industry? Because they're a little different. They are different. I am an action taker and I really love moving people forward. And I'm not saying that you can't do that in counseling, but it's not in a, a goal of counseling. I would say to hit goals and move forward at a rapid pace. And with coaching, I could see that happening. I saw women transitioning out of the sex industry. I saw them having flourishing businesses and it was I found it really fun. I still use some of the skills I learned in graduate school, a lot of them probably. I just found it really exciting and fun. It fits my personality more. What is the hardest thing for women transitioning out of the sex industry? What's the hardest thing for them that stands in their way? It self-esteem, but more than that, I mean, just logistically, you're used to making hundreds and or thousands of dollars an hour. And then you're supposed to transition to a regular job where you have to be there at a certain time. You have a boss and you're nowhere near making that amount. It, it's, that's really hard to stay with. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I definitely can imagine because I had a coaching business for the longest time. It just wasn't a steady income and I stopped it to go back to school. Well, now I have to get a job again and I'm taking a pay cut to get a job again. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was really hard to like wrap my head around. Um, I used to get paid a hundred dollars an hour. Now I'm not getting paid that. Um, but you know, I had to find something that fit in the right amount of time and had steady income. So that's what worked for me right now in my stage of life. But I can understand taking that pay cut and going, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when the work in that kind of field is quote unquote easy. 
it might not be mentally easy, but it's easy compared to, you know, taking a job you don't like, per se, at at that huge pay cut. It's hard to stick with. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> I understand. I understand their, their pain when it comes to that. So in order to help other people, we kind of have to help ourselves. Did you get any help along the way to help um, work through the things you had been through? I have had so much help. I've done a shitload of therapy. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I used to do therapy twice a week. I had clinical depression, major eating disorders. Like I have gone through several therapists. I definitely believe in getting a lot of help. It has definitely not been success only. I've had a lot of backslides. Uh, It took me multiple times to quit my fetish business and move into something that I found more purposeful and meaningful. It took me a while to find the right therapist for me, or there was just different therapists at different times. It took me several different medications and different modalities before I was able to release depression. And with my eating disorder, it's I have not had it like a bad one for 16 years, and I will occasionally backslide. I will backslide when things get stressful Mm -hmm. and I will want to control things by trying to control my food. I almost did it around January, especially since I live in a, I live in Southern California. There's a lot of pressure here. A lot of my girlfriends go on, you know, whole 30 in January. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about joining them and my husband pointed out, uh, no, we don't do this. You don't do this. And he caught me. So I was almost backsliding on my own because I've made a commitment to never diet and never do those things. It doesn't work for me. It just, it's just a control thing. So I have gotten a lot of help. So with the eating disorder thing, I think I just hit rock bottom and I actually bought like every book at the defunct bookstore borders and read every single one and was just ready to change. But the depression and things like that, lots of counseling, tried different medications, hypnotherapy. And then I finally was able to release it. And I, like I said, I haven't backslid with that piece of the mental puzzle in a really long time. That's something to be really proud of. Like I right now I'm in the midst of a mental health struggle. I was uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder earlier this year and then we moved and then my life turned upside down. And so it has been a wild ride, a wild ride for me, needless to say. So I can understand the struggle of that. But um, I asked because, you know, I always want people to see as like, you know, you didn't reach where you are overnight. You had to get help along the way. We have to heal this stuff that's going on with us in order to be able to thrive, you know, and I know that too. And it's, you know, it's a good reminder for me when I have these conversations to say, you know, I still need to continue with therapy and taking my meds and doing all the things so that I can function like in a higher capacity. Um, But right now we're getting ready to try EMDR therapy. I don't know if you tried that, but yeah. Um, it has something to do with, they have you watch these lights and they'll put you in kind of like a REM state and it helps you process through the old memories, traumatic memories you had and process them, process them in a way where it's not as traumatic to you. Um, so it was interesting. She was explaining it to me today. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> but it sounds interesting. 
I think it compounds, so it could work for you because I will tell you that I don't think hypnosis solves depression. I just think it was part of my piece. And I, under deep hypnosis, waved my depression on a train. I imagined it like a cloud and I waved goodbye to it and understood it was trying to help me all those years. And I swear I have never been depressed since that point when I was able, finally ready to wave that part of me goodbye. It doesn't mean that I haven't had grief and trauma, but it's different than that kind of depression, that really dark cloud for months on end. And I just want to remind you and everyone out there and myself to be soft on yourself because these things happen. We backslide. Like I just shared, I released an eating disorder 16 years ago, back almost backslid in January of this year. And with you, I mean, it's like you're, you had a huge move. That's really traumatic to the system sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, and thank you for that reminder. Uh, but I, we had somebody on before who was talking about eating disorders and she said the same thing as, you know, if she tries to diet or tries to um, do any sort of like keto or anything like that, it, it will just make her revert right back into eating disorder mindset. Um, she can't do that either. So I think it's more of a triggering thing when it comes to that. Yeah, it's a control thing. There, I can't do any of that. I'm sure there are other people out there who can do it. I'm not one of those people. No, when I was a fitness coach, I um, had what they called orth orthorexia. I think that's what. Oh, called. I know what it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. where um, and it got really bad. Like you could see my collarbones. You could see, and people were just like, "You look so good." And now look, <laughs> look at those pictures. I was like, I was so not healthy. I was starving myself and I was like working out hours a day and I was obsessive over every little calorie that went in my mouth. It was ridiculous. And even though I wasn't like binging or purging or, you know, it was still a form of, you know, an eating disorder. It was, it was a little, a little much. My husband was really scared. So I too cannot go on the the dieting train or anything like that. I'm like, I will keep my extra pounds to not go there again. Cause it was, it was scary. It was really scary. My girlfriend had that and I had to have like an intervention and told her she wasn't as hot as you, she used to be. And that really hurt her feeling. She was aghast when I told her, but she lost all her curves and was like doing whole 30 nonstop. Like she never went off of the whole 30 and she was like way underweight. She had lost, like she was the thinnest she'd ever been. And she wanted to start another cycle of whole 30. I had an intervention. There is like this fine line. It's hard to know because in our society, we, we praise that kind of behavior there is a fine line and the fine line is when your jeans are falling off and you have no butt or boobs anymore and then you want to start this crazy thing because you love the control of it or something of the matter and your best friend tells you you don't look hot that's the fine line yeah it was when my <laughs> my mother-in-law I don't remember what she said to me she said something along those same lines and it kind of like snapped me and I, <laughs> I ended up binging and gaining a whole bunch of weight back, which made my husband feel a lot better because it was not as unhealthy. But I hopped from fitness program to fitness program to fitness program and the diets that went along with those over and over and over again for several years. It was, it was scary. So even though I, I haven't ha had like a diagnosed eating disorder, I can understand where that sense of control comes from because that's how it yeah. was for me. Like I could control like what was going in. It got very obsessive. 
Um, so right. And it felt safe, right? Because you're right. like following this program and you follow the rules and you're following the rules. So it's safe. Yeah. Like, I get it. Safety is a huge thing for me. It's, it's one of those things like where I feel like I'm out of control. I'm like, I just need to feel safe. I need to feel safe. So that's definitely, yeah. So I still have a lot of work on my safety that I need to work on. Um, so you did therapy. What other things have helped you besides therapy? Like, you know, uh, have you worked with coaches, uh, personal development books, stuff like that? What, what sort of things have helped you? I read a lot of personal development books and in my twenties where I spent the majority of it depressed. Uh, Oprah helped me. I watched her like every day at three o'clock and she helped me, especially through those times of depression. Sometimes her shows would just be what I needed to see. It was steady, lots of self-help books. And now I, because of my skills in psychology and maybe years of therapy, I can basically almost self-counsel myself. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't have want outside support and I'm definitely a talker. So I don't hold things in luckily for me. So I'll talk about it to my best friend or my husband and I reach for help, but I can calm myself more. I also am rhythmic. Like yesterday I went swimming for almost an hour and I think things through that way, or I'll go for a walk, but basically in the water, I'm a slow swimmer. I'm not a good swimmer. I really use it for like a moving meditation and I can just work through my own shit at this point, not a hundred percent, but enough to get me to a better state. Yeah. But it took a lot of work to get you there. So anybody oh, listening yeah. who's like, I can't do that right now. Let's know that Kat did a lot of work on herself to get there. Um, what are some of your favorite personal development books? We just had a question. Well, the day we're recording this, which is several months before it actually airs, um, we just had a question of somebody in the Inspired Women community who is asking for personal development book recommendations. What are some of your favorites? I haven't read one in a long time, but one of the ones that meant something to me when I was going through depression was Your Sacred Self by Wayne Dyer. And I liked Wayne Dyer's books. They really called to me back then when I needed to move out of that depression. <laughs> so that, that one specifically is a book that I really like, or Wayne Dyer's books, period. And nowadays I've moved on to Guy Hendricks and that's the big leap because my life is so dreamlike now. And it's, it, it's talking about how as you move up in life and there's so much good stuff that we can sabotage ourselves. And sometimes I feel that way. I feel like the shoe's going to drop. I've been living a dream life for almost a decade. I mean, really, I have a great husband. We're wealthy. My son is healthy. I have great friends. And sometimes it feels out of control because mm -hmm. it's too good. And I'm waiting for, oh my gosh, like literally, like who's going to die? Like my, my negative programming still has me feeling that way. And so I've moved, that book helps just expand the pleasure in my life. And I mentally, I, I just mentally have to keep myself in check with that. So it depends on where you are and what's going to most call for you. So if you're moving through depression, Wayne Dyer helped me personally. Uh, people like Byron Katie for triggering. I like her stuff. It just didn't truly resonate with me. Uh, beyond a surface level, like that doesn't really work for me. She does something called the work. It doesn't truly work for me. And right now, 
uh, positive journaling helps me. So working like journaling as if something I want to occur has already occurred. Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely done that before. And I'm, I'm, I'm a self-sabotager. I self-sabotage myself a lot um, where I'm like, I'm always looking for the next shoe to drop. And if it doesn't drop, I end up doing something to end up sabotaging myself in the process. So it's definitely something I have to work on as well. There are, there are obviously lots of things I have to work on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that anxiety of waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop is so great that you actually want to control the dropping of the shoe. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. I am ripe full of anxiety. Uh, I was like, I had no anxiety growing up. I had depression and hypomania states. But then when I got into like my late twenties, early thirties, well, I'm in my early 30s right now. So late 20s, I would say it started. I started developing more anxiety. I'm like, where does this come from? Why? I don't understand. That's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> That's what therapy helps me process. <laughs> it probably comes from the same places as the depression, at that lack of control. I get it, girl. I get it. Oh, yeah. The lack of control yeah. is, is really big. You might like that book, The Big Leap, because it is about being able to expand and not sabotage. You know, like, I guess, deal with our expanding happiness and joy and the good things in our life without having to sabotage it so we get to a base level of comfort. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I'll have to check it out. I I could have swore I, maybe I haven't read it. Maybe I've just heard of it. Maybe that's what I have. Um, Cause I don't remember it. I remember the title though. So I'm pretty sure I've heard of it before. I was mm-hmm. so big on reading so much personal development for like several years and then I, it all fizzled out. And now I'm like, I got to get back into reading for personal development. Lately, it's just been Harry Potter. <laughs> it's okay. You have kids. They take up a lot of energy. I mean, your daughter's eyebrows need to grow back. <laughs> I had to break the news to her that it's going to take four to six months before her eyebrows grow oh. back. Yeah, that's what Google says. So she was Dencils. like, I have no idea how to do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. These are like my natural eyebrows. I don't know how to do the pencil thing. I was Somebody on Facebook said that. They're like, oh, you could just have her draw them on. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. Oh my God. Well... I'm going to guess she will not repeat this. I'm not. She's 10. She was very traumatized. She was so upset. She was crying. And I was like, what made you think this was a good idea? I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know either. Of all the places you could shave yourself, like, eyebrows <laughs> are not the place it needs to be. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. oh. Just being your children, yeah. um, you have you have a child. And so you had to do the whole mom thing, trying to handle being a mom and also handle growing a business, everything like that. How'd you do it? Some people are probably listening, thinking, how did you be a mom and also run a successful business? I actually planned on being a full-time stay-at-home mom and not returning to uh, my business indefinitely. And I am in that fortunate position where I made a lot of money before I became a mom and my husband makes a lot of money. So it's, it's harder to relate to. I just want to emphasize that I made it. (laughs) And 
when my son started preschool, I had free time again and I was going crazy. I was restless. I was irritable. I was spending hours a day reading stupid gossip sites on the internet because my husband works crazy hours. He's like a bit of a workaholic and I put that mildly. He is a workaholic, just period. And I had, I found myself just so restless and I was talking to a fellow mom at Mommy and Me and she felt the same way and I helped her start a business. It's still successful and boom, I exited retirement and I've been so much happier and more balanced since. And like I said, if the two hours a day is accurate, I work 15 hours or less a week and the businesses I help my clients grow really is 20 hours tops, truly. So one of my clients, she was able to leave her corporate job because we could replicate her entire corporate salary working four full days a month instead of her going to corporate every day for doing something she actually did for her former company, but doing it on her own is just so much more lucrative. These are the kind of businesses that you can really grow and look at and take your skills and make sure that they're profitable and grow business that allows you to be mom first. And that's what I'm all about at this point. Yeah. I always say that moms need to have something for them because it's so easy to lose yourself in motherhood. I know I did for years. Like, um, even though I had such a, like, I went to such a bad place with being a fitness coach, um, that helped me find a purpose in what I was doing, you know, it outside of my family. And I think we all need to have a purpose outside of our family, something that we're doing. And it doesn't have to be a business. It could be a hobby. Um, it could be anything like that. I know people who have taken up like sewing. And I know people have taken up like instruments and just something outside of your kids that you enjoy doing that allows you to get that little reprieve. Because even though kids can be really wonderful when they're not shaving their eyebrows off, um, (laughs) they also can do things like shave their eyebrows off. Sometimes it's really stressful to be a mom and we could lose ourselves in that. So I think it's really important for moms to find something that they enjoy doing. So I can understand why when, especially when your child started preschool, um, that you would want to, to go back and do something because you do, you get lost. There's only so many times you can watch Ellen on TV before you're like, okay, Ellen, I need to do something with my life. That's exactly what I say, because I think moms need permission, especially moms who have the luxury of staying at home. I say it's moms that are ready to be more than mom again, and that makes so much sense. We were ourselves before for so much longer than we were moms. For most of us, I shouldn't say that for everyone, but most of us were like, I was cat way before I was mom, and it was really hard to swallow that part of myself. Mm-hmm for such a long time. And I feel so much happier, more fulfilled, more purposeful. I think I'm a way better mom than now that I'm running my business again. And again, I do that in 15 hours or less a week. So I really have true enjoyment in my business and working with my clients and helping them create businesses that are purposeful and profitable and that they have pleasure in. I totally believe in business for pleasure, or like you said, a hobby or my girlfriend's training for a hundred mile bike ride. I mean, whatever it is. Yeah. That's what she's decided to do. So whatever it is that brings you joy outside of motherhood, if that's what you 
feel called to do. If you're feeling like swallowed by motherhood, which some of us do feel like, I would guess most of us feel like, because it's amazing, but it is all encompassing. Like when did pre-mom you ever think you were going to have to say, don't shave your eyebrows? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) right? It's like these ludicrous things. Like, yeah, I have found myself saying some crazy things to my six-year-old son. It is, yeah. <laughs> Just wait till the teens come. So we uh, have, at, in our house, we have 16, 10. The 10-year-old is one who shaved her eyebrows. Um, eight and eight, we have twins, boy-girl twins. So we have three girls and a boy. And I will tell you, I like the ages from like five to like 10. 10, they start losing their minds and they start those teenage hormones start to rage in their bodies. And from 10 to like 16, my 16 year old starting to come out of it. They are just mean. <laughs> They're so mean. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh my gosh. Um, so right now you're in the sweet age. Um, where they're nice and, you know, not a lot of work. They're kind of self-sufficient. I mean, to a certain extent, but they're kind of self-sufficient and they still love you and they still think you're a great person. So yeah, that's, that's the nice, nice age range to be in. I'm going to say yikes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My 10 year old, she's starting to go into the teen phase. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I only have like a couple more years between the twins do it too. And I'm like, oh no, just stay little, like stay your age because they hit those teen years and I swear they hate you for like five years. It's just insane. That's so sad to hear. Not to, maybe your child will not hate you. Maybe it's just girl teens. I don't know. Cause I have not. Mm-hmm. I did hear girls can be tough. Like boys are always tough, like with the getting hurt and being crazy. But girls, I heard that tw- the tween girls can become. Yeah. So I'm hoping my son is my saving grace and that he will not be mean when he's a teenager. And then I'll just be able to go to him and like still get like hugs and him tell me I'm a great mom while his <laughs> sisters are losing their minds. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> So when you tell me all of this stuff, it makes complete sense. And I want you to be even softer with yourself, with the move, with four kids and these tween hormones like floating all around that there could be a little bit of a slide back here and there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, we need something outside for me. And I mean, I just started a job, which is great. Um, But for me, it's been school. So going back to school has been my outlet you know, for me to be able, and the podcast, the podcast is also an outlet, but going back to school has been my outlet outside of my kids. That's, I love to learn. I'm such a nerd. So that's been my thing, you know? So finding that thing, that's your thing that you really enjoy doing, whether it's a hobby or starting a business or, you know, getting a nine to five job, whatever it is that somebody enjoys going and doing that. Um, that's really important for us as moms so we don't lose ourselves. Absolutely. It's it's vital for us to fill ourselves up first and actually take that time to fill ourselves so that we actually have more to give. I mean, we can't be on empty. I think moms have a lot of hard they have a hard time with this. I am not one of those moms. I love to take care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I was like I was late having my son. 
And I just am selfish in that way, but I definitely have my self-care stuff and nothing's going to get in the way of it. I kid you not. Well, you have to have some really good boundaries to have a business where you only work like, what did you say, tops 15 hours a week? How do you set those kind of boundaries? I know boundaries is a place where a lot of people struggle. It's not a place where I struggle. Maybe it's my dominant type A personality or my controlling personality. I'm very, very systemized and I, I have great time management. But basically, I only take a certain amount of clients at a time and otherwise you go on a wait list or you go into a group program. I allocate a certain amount for that group program. I work for purpose and pleasure and I love making my own money. So I love making money. So that is a part of it. I love working for profit and I just set those hours. I take my clients every other week. And so I do the calls every other week and the every other week from that, it's things like podcast interviews, writing content, uh, developing my self-study course, other things like that. I just balance it out that way. I find it, I find it like a high paid, very pleasurable hobby. See, I'm the opposite. I sucked at being a self-employed person because I didn't want to ever take money from people. (laughs) And I was, if somebody wanted, I mean, I, I had great time management, but I just had a hard time. Like I really wanted to, to help so badly. And I, I wouldn't, that I'd be like, Oh, it's fine. We can do this. Oh, it's fine. We can do this. And then I'd find myself like hardly making any money, but working all the time. And I'm like one of those people that I'm like, I just have to work for somebody else. (laughs) Somebody who tells me these are your hours that you can work. And then that's it. My husband used to yell at me when I was a fitness coach. He was like, why are you working, Meg? You need to stop. You're working so much. You're always working. And I'm like, but I really want to help people. Um, so I was, I was, I have to have somebody. I'm the kind of person that needs somebody to tell me, nope, it's time to clock out, Meg. You're done. Nobody calls me Meg except my husband. I'm just thinking of him in my head. Um, <laughs> so I need that person. So that's why I was asking because I struggled with that so hard, being able to just cut it off at a certain time. So I think it's so impressive that you are able to do that and you're able to be like, nope, we're done. These are the times and these are the hours I have to do this. And I'm like in awe of you right now. Well, I actually give a lot of hands-on support for my clients. So if they need me in between, like with emails and things like that, I like to answer it. I find that pleasurable. I'm in my Facebook group daily. Like I find that activity pleasurable. I guess I love being like you helpful with that stuff. I just expect to be highly paid for it. So for people who want it for free, what I do is you, I do a lot of free content and they are they are free to watch and view all the free content that I have. I will not take on free clients. So if you had a coach working with you and telling you, no, you must charge that. It sounds like that would have been really feasible for you to have somebody that you're accountable for to keep you on the study. And I get it. One of my current clients, she was the same way. She was doing seven months of work before we started working together. She was doing it basically for free or discount or barter. And she's really I had her, the first thing I had her do was work on her money mindset. 
work on being able to stand in charging and everything, healing her money mindset stuff because she had some trauma around money and people that she grew up with being very greedy and power hungry that had money and having to disentangle earning money. Whereas I view money as being safe. I love having money. I feel like the more money I have, the safer I am. So it's just all different things. So I mean, there's nothing that fits one person. So you feel better, or I'm guessing you feel better with set boundaries and somebody saying, okay, you come in here, come in there. And that might, that works for you. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely the person that has to have somebody keep me accountable. See, I'm great at coaching other people to keep that and being that person, be accountable for them. But for me to do it to myself, oh my gosh, whole different story. I mean, I'm good at boundaries and other things, but when it was business, no, mm, no, mm. I really was, yeah, I was often working way more than I should for the amount of money I did because uh, I definitely needed that person to be like, uh-uh, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, mm. Yes, I was a really not so awesome business owner. <laughs> oh. That's okay. We all have different strengths. Right? I just need somebody to hire me so I can like show my strengths. I'm like, that's why I'm, you know, working on my bachelor's of psychology and then getting my master's in psychology is because I still want to be in that helping profession. Yeah, but I need to be working for somebody else. Um, who can be like, these are the hours that you're yeah. working. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm definitely that person. I, I was just not the best entrepreneur in the world, but I did try. I gave it a, I gave it a solid try. Uh, that's why I think it's so awesome. All the things that you're able to do and be able to fit it in the time frame you're able to fit it in. Um, so as we wrap up the podcast today, Kat, what is something or a collection of things that you would like to leave my inspired women audience with? I want to encourage anyone who's listening that this calls to that you create your fucking life. And so it doesn't matter where you are right now. If you were abused, if you were doing drugs, if you're in the sex industry, whatever, you're, you're super depressed, you're on the floor, like after you just binged, whatever you're at, you can take the steps forward and there's a lot of failure along the way. So what we're talking about right now is 20 plus years in the making for me to get to where I'm at. And as I shared, I had a slip back with just the eating disorder piece like 10 months ago. I almost had a slip back. I didn't because my husband could see it and stopped it. But what I'm saying is you create that life for yourself, this dream life. And it starts with a decision. So it might not feel like it. You can't want it and hope for it and pray for it and wish for it. You have to decide that you want more for yourself, that you are going to make it happen. And from there, take that consistent action every single day, even if it is an inch move every single day. So I think one of my strengths is just being so systematic and and being able to just move forward. And it doesn't mean that I don't feel failure or fear or whatever, but you just every day you take those steps. And if you don't know how to get there, then you ask for help. You get the help. You, you've heard both Megan and me discuss that we have outside help. We have outside counsel. We believe in it so much that both of us uh, are, have our bachelor's in psychology or soon to be and going on to get our master's or I have my master's in psychology because we know that it's beneficial and it's helpful and it works. So just do what it takes and move forward for yourself. Oh, and fill yourself up. <laughs> do what? Fill yourself up. You deserve it. You need to fill yourself up. You got to add 
Yeah. So like, let's just say you're in the shittiest life right now. You're like horrible. Like you just, you hate this. Add in something, even five minutes of something. It could be this podcast. It could be the Oprah show like I did when I was young or adding in a yoga class. That was really helpful for me and it helped me calm my mind. Add in, add in whatever it is for that five minutes, but make it like start filling yourself up so that you know that there could be something different for you because there really is. Yeah, I love how you said it just can be something small, like, you know, a couple minutes a day. I think sometimes we catastrophize it when we're like, oh, I have to dedicate an hour to working out every day. And I'm like, on a good day, I might work out like and do yoga for like 15 minutes. But you know what? Then I got it in. Like, that's a good day if I can get it in and get that 15 minutes in and, and do something for myself that I enjoy and it feels good. And so I'm glad you were talking about like, even if it's something, it's just a couple minutes a day, it's something for you. And that's really important. Absolutely. It really makes a huge difference. And 15 minutes can like an hour feels way overwhelming, but people, anyone can do anything for five minutes. So if you even put that, I believe in small three foot tosses. I learned this in graduate school. They brought in a carnival game essentially. And they put rings, they gave us rings and they had pegs, three foot, six, nine, 12, 15 feet. And they asked us to throw the rings and the people who consistently got the highest points, guess what? They did three foot tosses over and over again. And the whole point of it was that the small steps make the biggest differences in the long run. So that five, instead of having that one hour goal that you know you're not going to make or you have to go to the gym, why not put on that five minutes of music and dance around the house for, for that five minutes? It's going to change your mood. You're going to feel accomplished. Just like Megan doing 15 minutes of yoga instead of having to go to a class. Just do it that way. I have a client who built her entire business that she makes thousands of dollars a month on doing a hyper-focused model in 30 minutes a day. So she really dedicated 30 minutes a day to her business and still has a business generating thousands a month. So it's, it, it's, it's okay to be small and steady. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming on the podcast today. I had such a wonderful time chatting with you and I hope that we elevated your mood from the eyebrow trauma. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.